0: What is up, everybody? Welcome into Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. He's Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. Set up the show a little bit. We are going to have an awesome guest here. He's just getting into the green room, and we'll bring him in uh, shortly. Uh, We're excited to welcome him in. Sneaky Joe DiBiase from WGR 550. I've been trying to put this together for a few different occasions and we're excited to have them on the show as always we're brought to you by tops markets kings hawaiian Slider sunday million dollar showdown have you heard about it enter for a chance to win one million dollars each week kings hawaiian is pitting two cities sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown and you get to help decide the winner vote weekly for your favorite regional slider For a chance to win all season long and earn entries toward the $1 million prize, explore the interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, and more, visit topsmarkets.com slash zone to enter. What's up, Ryan Talbot?
1: Hey, not too much, Mr. Perino. Looking forward to this weekend's game against the Steelers. You got some news.
0: Why Why don't you drop that for us here at the start?
1: Yeah, Bill's Mafia. I'm raising money in the month of October for Real Men Wear Pink, uh, working with the American Cancer Society. So uh, if you can make any kind of donation, no no donation is too small, I would greatly appreciate it. I'll put a link to my Real Men Wear Pink campaign in the chat after the show. Beautiful. Let's bring in our
0: guest, Sneaky Joe. uh, I did the uh, morning show yesterday, and it jogged my memory, and I thought – you know, we gotta we gotta get you on this show. It has been too long. It's our third season of the podcast, uh, so your grand debut. What's up, buddy? How are you?
2: What's up, gentlemen? How are we? Yeah, long. It's been far too long, but you know, crazy schedule for uh, for a couple years here, getting settled down a little bit. So, yeah, glad to be on.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you do what you do because for those that don't know, Joe is the morning show producer now. Used to produce uh, the afternoon show, show up in the Bulldog. Now he's on Howard and Jeremy in the morning. One of my favorite listens, uh, whether it be live or in podcast format. And then he hosts his own show, co-host with Sal Capaccio, uh, yep. the Extra Point Show every morning. How do you do it, my friend?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, long. It's, like, it's not not about that sounds hard, like really. it. Listen, long. <laughs> long hours but when you're just kind of hanging out with guys that are basically your buddies at this point just talking about sports you know it's it's the dream job it's it's, uh, it's mm-hmm. awesome so even though yeah long hours and you know sometimes you got to do what you got to do over the years to get where you want to be yeah i'm 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 happy with where i'm at now schedule wise at least you know for the for the home life and whatnot so yeah, again, it's not—it's not like it's grueling hours. There's a lot more hard jobs in the world than just hanging out and talking about fantasy with Shope for half a day every day. Awesome. <laughs>
0: um, so setting up the show a little bit, uh, you, you came—you're on a, a fun one because we we have four games to kind of dive into. I feel like a lot of perceptions and opinions and takes are kind of set in on this 2022 version of the Bills because I think it takes a couple games to kind of figure out, okay. What's an offense going to look like? What's a defense going to look like? There's some new parts. How do they look with the parts that are returning? And now we can kind of dive into some of those tapes. So so we're going to go through what we think we know and how we're going to do that is we're going to pose a couple of questions. And we're going to have a couple of conversations around it. But before we start, we got to go through this injury report because it's never ending uh, this first portion of the season. Uh, Christian Benford, uh, Jamison Crowder, obviously uh, those are two guys that have been out for that are Probably going to be out for a little bit longer. Uh, Did not practice today. Then you have uh, Jake Kummerow as well. Then you have some new additions. Tremaine Edmonds did not practice with a hamstring, which I think is interesting, Ryan Talbot. That could be... Potentially a huge loss uh, against the Pittsburgh team that's probably going to want to run the ball a lot over the, uh, on Sunday. Uh, Isaiah McKen- McKenzie in the concussion protocol. Um, Mitch Morse, Justin Murray, Ed Oliver, and Jordan Phillips all limited today. Jordan Poyer dealing with a rim injury, but he said uh, it's probably not that big of a deal, uh, probably just more banged up than anything. Thoughts on the Tremaine Edmonds addition?
1: You know, when it comes to Edmonds, I I feel like he's almost been overshadowed this year. He's been he's played great football through four games. But when you look at this Bills team, you're talking Jordan Poyer. You're talking Von Miller, Greg Rousseau. You're obviously talking Matt Milano if you're talking about a linebacker right now because he's playing at an all pro level. But oh, by the way, Tremaine Edmonds has played really solid football. So like you said, Matt, uh, this new addition is something to monitor because if he is out, uh, it's definitely going to change the looks of, of what the Bills can do on Sunday against the Steelers.
0: Joe uh, Edmonds is such a fun conversation and maybe we could start here because he was one of the the, the topics that I wanted to sure. talk about you know we haven't seen what this defense really looks like without Edmonds for an extended period of time right like over the course yeah. of his career he's missed a game here game there but he's been that stabilizing force and you know whether you're whatever side of the polarizing argument that you're on with Edmonds whether you think maybe he should be better there's some that even in the fan base call him a bust. I think he's played really well through four weeks, Uh, not Mm -hmm. as many splash plays. I think that you you were hoping for uh, for those that have been waiting for him. But how big of a loss would that be? And also, this is the question. Twenty twenty three is Tremaine Edmonds. Do we know that Tremaine Edmonds is on this roster?
2: I at the beginning of the season, it would have been close. I probably would have predicted no, though. For 2023, especially after they drafted Terrell Bernard in the third round. Could that kind of be, hey, we're thinking Edmonds probably isn't here in 2023. We got to have something ready to go and not just be scrambling in free agency needing somebody or needing someone in the draft. If we don't have Edmonds under contract. It's what I kind of thought Bernard might have been is a bit of an insurance policy. But right now, I'd still be close to 50-50. I'd probably lean yes, though, that Edmonds is back. Because Knox's contracts out of the way, that frees up a potential franchise tag if they want to do that with Edmonds. And also, I think he's been better than he's been in the past. He's always been a good linebacker. Um, He's always been pretty consistent. You mentioned the lack of splash plays. That's really kind of always been the thing with Edmonds. And when you're drafted that high and you have the frame and the physicality that he has, I think the expectations were always going to be really hard for him to achieve. He was going to have to be a top five linebacker or else there was always going to be complaints about him. So when he settles into just, hey, really good, but not necessarily in the conversation as the best in football, then I think that's where fans start start to get a little bit of disappointment. But he is good. And that Titans game, you know, there were a couple of splash plays there, right? The play where he shoots mm-hmm. into the backfield and he wrestles Derrick Henry to the ground. and almost looked like he did it with ease. That was, you know, then maybe that's not quite a splash play. The one, though, that is, is where he picks up Robert Woods on a crossing pattern, and he's got the length to be able to tip the ball up, and then Hyde tips the ball up, and it ends up being an interception. So mm-hmm. they're still not getting those that frequently, but I think I would, pr- I would be leaning yes on he's back. For this game, though, this specific game, I feel like they can get by without him. Because Pittsburgh doesn't run the ball all that well. And I mean, maybe I should be a little bit worried about their receivers. And if, you know, they're going to work their way. I'm not sure Matt Canada is deserving of this type of uh, this type of praise. But if they can find their way to getting a Deontay Johnson, their underneath receivers lined up against linebackers, then ooh, like good luck to Rowe Bernard rookie first start like that. But I, at the end of the day, I think they can get by this opponent. I'd want him back for Kansas City if he's not you know, 100% or near 100% by the Kansas City game, you got to be a full firepower by that one. Then I would say I would be a little worried about the injury, but am I not giving Pittsburgh enough credit? I feel like no Edmonds, <laughs> they'll just be completely fine.
0: I don't know. Uh, Ryan, before we, uh, you, you mentioned the chat, uh, the next topic, and I do want to get there, but uh, did you did you, of you guys watch the Mic'd Up with Tremaine Edmonds this week? No,
2: I messed by chance,
0: brick, the Bills Brick put out. by brick. Brick, brick by brick. brick. First of all, I will say in that seven-minute video, I think I heard Tremaine Edmonds talk with more emotion than I've seen him talk at any point in his entire Bills career when it comes to the media. And I also, also got to thinking, like, just a little side observation. Sometimes it's like, you know, we talk to some of these players, we wonder why, like, you know, maybe the energy isn't there after the game. Obviously, they played a lot. But, man, it was amazing to me how much Tremaine actually talked in that game. So thinking about him coming into the locker room and then getting asked a bunch of questions and maybe why he isn't kind of running at the mouth a little bit. Maybe that's a reason why, but he felt in that video, like you talk about a comeback situation being down 20 to three in that first half, Ryan, his importance as a leader, they've talked about it. Sean's talked about it. Tredavious whites talked about even Von Miller, a new addition has talked about it. He really, I felt like kept that the tone on the sideline to the point where they're not out of the game. And Over the course of the game, it got kind of ramped up, ramped up, ramped up. I think from a leadership perspective, he's as valuable as what he brings on the field. He's a really good player, and you're probably not going to replace what he brings as a player. But I definitely think it's going to be a chore to replace what he brings as a leader. Matt Milano has not ever given you that, I don't think.
1: No, he's a pretty, I think Milano's even um, quieter than Tremaine Edmonds in terms of, of what he brings. He obviously on the field does quite a bit for the Bills team, but in terms of Edmonds himself, y- you know, he's really interesting in terms of the perspective you just mentioned. I think when the Bills drafted Allen and Edmonds in, in that 2018 draft, they said both of these players are going to be such cornerstone pieces for this franchise, for that vision of, of what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean had for this team. Obviously, when they drafted Allen, and, and I'm not trying to in, insult Allen's game, I think they had some visions of a Cam Newton. Now, obviously, he's already eclipsed everything Cam Newton could do as a passer, but similar builds, similar uh, attributes. And then when they, they had Edmonds in mind, it's like, okay, here's our Luke Keekley. Now, that goes back to what Joe said. If you ended up getting a, a Luke Keekley, no one would be sitting here saying, this guy's a boss, this guy is this, that, or the other. Uh, but he's still such a good linebacker guys. And and he mm-hmm. does do things so well. And yes, there's always that one or two plays in the season where maybe he hits the wrong gap. He, he over And that seems to get magnified a lot more than those positive plays that he seems to do week in and week out.
0: So I think yeah. we're probably all in agreement that what we do know is Tremaine Edmonds will be back in some way, shape or form. I mean, the, the franchise tag number, like you mentioned, Joe, you know, they get Dawson Knox yeah. out of the way. It's not as expensive. Uh, to to use that on a linebacker as opposed to the, a pass rusher, uh, a wide receiver, uh, yeah. in some of those other positions like a left tackle, and I just I just I do think he means enough to this team to where they want to keep him in the in the mix, and I think it it probably means, and we could transition here a little bit. I, I think that might be a bad sign for maybe Jordan Poyer, and I think the next question I have for you in terms of do we know this or don't we know what's Jordan Poyer's future? I mean he's been. Arguably, again, the best safety in the NFL through four weeks, at least from a turnover perspective. We saw we got a glimpse of what it looks like without him in the Miami game. And then what it does look like with him when he returns. I just don't know how they're going to be able to pay everybody. Is is it just a situation where you're going to run out of money with Poyer?
2: Doesn't it kind of come down to hide in his health status? Because I feel like that could determine all of it. Maybe they're planning on having to go on without Poyer and paying Edmonds and Allen's cap hit balloons uh, this coming season. So there's going to be a lot less space. So and Knox's contract will go up too next year. That'll kick in. So I wonder if it just comes down to what do they what uh, what assurances do they have on Micah Hyde because that is a It's a herniated disc, right? It's a neck injury. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. can be super tricky. I mean, I I heard first hearing about that injury. Eric Woods popping into my head. We're like, Okay, the guy's career is just over just like that. Like, you never know with an injury like Mm -hmm. that. But on the flip side, there's Dane Jackson. He's back in 10 days with an injury that we you could have been thinking the worst with him. So we're in Mm -hmm. the unknown with Micah Hyde. If Hyde, you know, they don't know if he could start next season or there's still some complications going on. They might say, all right, Hyde's going to be on IR. Let's find a way to pay Jordan Poyer so that we're not completely starting over at safety, but on the flip side, if it's okay, his rehab's going great. He's back on the field. We think he'll be back practicing then. All right, we're going to keep going final year of Hyde's contract and we'll let Poyer walk, or maybe they just want both of them. I don't have a good guess on what they're going to do with Jordan Poyer because they've always found a way to pay the guys. We keep thinking they're not going to find a way to pay everybody. And then they find a way to pay everybody. So the money dries up at some point. You think it feels like because of his age, If it comes down to him versus Edmonds, who's the number one priority? Poyer's definitively better at what he does, but man, when we're talking about like an eight-year age gap, that's a tough sell, I think, to keep Poyer over over Edmonds.
0: Yeah, Ryan, the thing that Poyer has working for him as he enters free agency is sure he's going to go in as a 32-year-old safety, but potentially off the best two years of his career, I think people will be paying for the culture part of it as much as they'll be paying for the production part of it. I think you throw him back there with, you know, anybody, he's going to figure out a way to play up to the standard that he set over the last couple of years. But like, you look at a team like the giants who obviously they have a familiarity with the, with, with the player and also a real need in their secondary to just improve. I think they're really, they're pretty good up front in New York. I think they have a lot of question marks on the back end. And Jordan Poyer, you know, they, if they could clear out the cap situation, which I you've got to think that Joe Shane is going to be able to do over the course of the next year. Then you kind of throw money at a guy like this to come in here, help you set the culture. Listen, I know it's gone really well for in New York early on here for Brian Dable and company. And personally, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thrilled about it. I, I love Brian Dable. I think it's a fun story. But extrapolating this with Daniel Jones and company and the, the challenge that they have at, on offense over the course of the season, it probably goes the other way at some point. And they're going to probably need really good players and probably have to overspend on the market. I think Jordan Poyer is going to get money in free agency next year.
1: Uh, And yeah, if the bills don't bring him back, I I still think he's going to get a decent paycheck from another team. Uh, Again, age factors and he's not going to be breaking the bank. This is not going to be a Derwin James type of situation. And no one obviously expects that. Uh, But you mentioned it, man. It's the culture. It's the fit. It's the fact that there's going to be some team out there where maybe Jordan Poyer says, okay. they're not being viewed as a Super Bowl contender in 2023. But I think if I come into that secondary where they have a young piece at corner, they have another solid safety, I can help turn things around and speed up that process there. And like you said, good locker room guy good for building up the confidence of these players he was he and Hyde were the first two signings of this regime or of Sean McDermott specifically so they they obviously had a plan in mind for him now it goes back to what Joe said though if there are any questions about Micah Hyde in in his long-term future I know The agent said looking forward to coming back in 2023. And and that's obviously the optimistic view that you want to have. But I don't think the Bills want to enter next season still being a Super Bowl contender or favorite and not have either of these safeties that has been with the team since 2017.
2: Especially when we don't we don't really know what they look like on a long term basis without those two because they've just been so sturdy and they never leave the field. Mm -hmm. And by the way, throwing on top of it, I know he didn't start on Sunday, but Jaquan Johnson's a free agent, too. So even you got a depth piece there that you might not know if he's in the picture. If you don't sign Poyer, you probably could figure out a way to sign him if you really want to. But we just don't know what they look like without those two safeties back there. Uh, So much of their success on defense has been every corner that steps in there. They get the most out of. But I think a lot of that, a lot of that is coaching and scheme and Frazier and McDermott. I think a lot of that, though, is. You just you you have safeties back there that if you make a mistake, they are so good at covering up for you. And mm-hmm. the communication is so good back there that we talked about, you know, what the bills might be missing from Edmonds if he's you know injured at all. And not in that locker room communication and having a leader, a voice in that locker room. That's something they're going to be missing, I think, with Micah Hyde. And that's not usually something I like to harp on is like the locker room stuff and whatnot and the value of that. But those two have been staples back there. And we're already, I think, curious about what they'll look like without one of them. Mm-hmm. And man, just imagining a world where one is certainly gone next year if they don't sign Poyer and the other one's coming off a major neck injury. That just that, that seems it seems tough when you're still a Super Bowl team.
0: Let's flip sides of the ball here. And, and this is one that I think we we could really have a, a good conversation on because it's something that. The majority, I think, going into the season, we're on one side of the argument. And I think a few people are kind of maybe tiptoeing their way to the other side. You go back to Kansas City last year, and it was what felt like a superstar making performance for Gabe Davis. Right. Mm. Four touchdowns. It was an explosion. And he was kind of trending towards that, had a really good finish to the regular season, was good against the Patriots. Really, his touchdown production, and uh, I, I can't remember what the other stat was now, catches on third down for a first down. like The numbers were just insane when it came to his, his uh, usage and production. You go into this season and he comes out in the first game, has 88 yards and a touchdown, and you say, okay, th- there it is. It's, it's starting this way. Suffers the ankle injury, misses the next week plays through it the last couple weeks. And if you head over to the website right now, Syracuse.com, New York I talked to Gabe Davis today. And basically he told me it's been frustrating uh, dealing with, you know, spending all this time in the off season, working on your body, and then getting to the season, trying to put it on display, and then having a setback and having to fight through this injury. He's obviously not been hundred percent. I mean, we put out practice videos all week And every time we put it up, all the Twitter doctors come into the comment section. And it's funny to kind of watch the the conversation happen. But he doesn't look 100%. He's not, you know, moving off of that ankle, you know, the, the way that he does when he's healthy. So the question is, when we were going into the year, I said definitively, the Bills have their wide receiver number two. Like, without a doubt. I saw enough last season, enough in the playoff game. But do the Bills have their wide receiver two? Are there questions Valid questions about Gabe Davis's ability to fill that role long-term. I think it's worth a conversation.
2: Is it okay if I want to reserve judgment until I know that his ankle's right? Right. But maybe we never know that, right? That could be something that lingers and nags at him for a while. Although, right, full practice today, right? Am I remembering that right?
0: Yes, it was Um, a full practice today, which I'll tell you, watching him, I thought he looked the best that he's looked. That's what I tweeted. But I still don't think – it looked 100, even close to 100%. He told, yeah. But he said, I'm 100%. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, so. he listen, the Chiefs next week and then the bye. So maybe he's the guy for getting right with the bye week too, just needing that extra week of rest at the early part of the season. I still feel very confident he is the answer, and he's a good answer to who's my number two. Because so far, they haven't really had that. With him kind of maybe dealing with the ankle injury, not playing at all in week two, Who's really been the second option? It's been the running back. It's been Devin Singletary. He's second on the team in targets so far through four games. Who would have ever dreamed that could have happened in a Josh Allen offense? Every year, Josh Allen is dead last in the league in targets to the running back position. And I've liked that about their offense because it means they're big plays. They're getting the ball to their receivers. So it's more down the field. But now this year we have a change. And is that maybe it's a Dorsey thing right? Maybe it's a different, it's a play calling thing. It's a coordinator uh, route concept thing, or maybe it's just Gabe Davis isn't a hundred percent and nobody else is stepping up. I think Knox is the one you might want for that because of the contract and his familiarity with Allen and then McKenzie and Crowder, you know, I guess maybe it's not stunning that they wouldn't be taking over the offense with Davis out. But I think when Davis is healthy, he's the number two option. And the one stat that I think might show that he's just not been right. If there's been any doubt about that, is just look at the type of targets he's getting. Look at the type of routes that he's running. In his first two seasons, an average target distance, seventh in the NFL, and eighth in the NFL. It was down the field. This year, he's 28th in the NFL. It's a big do- It's a big step down. It's more short. He's not running those go routes as much, those deep posts. And I think when he's at his best, even though we think of him as this big-body, contested catch receiver, he constantly ranks at the top of the league in these big touchdowns and these, you know, big targets down the field, even though again, he's not like a four, three guy, you know, he's not Tyree Hill out there. So I, I, I want to see that element back because I think when he's at his best, think of the chiefs plays. Why is he dominating the chiefs? It's one-on-one coverage and Diggs is hogging a lot of the attention, which of course helps, but it's not like jump balls. It's not a lot of contested catches. The bomb over the top is he just outruns the corner and gets behind mm-hmm. the safety, the 75-yard touchdown. The the play where he breaks the corner's ankles is he's running at the dude with so much speed that he's off, you know, he's on his, on his toes, and then the quick jab step left and cut right, he throws the guy off because he was running at him, and he's intimidated by him going deep on him. So I think those are the routes that Davis is good at, even though he's not a technician like Diggs, and he is good at the contested catch. I don't think he's right, and he's at his the height of his powers until we see more going on down the field with him.
1: Yeah, and I agree the Bills do have a number 2 receiver in, in Gabe Davis, you know, Matt, we saw at training camp he was getting open left and right, it didn't matter who they put on him, he wasn't dropping anything, he was making plays. Since this injury he's had some drops, he, he the route running isn't what it's supposed to be and that's what happens when you're dealing with one of those nagging injuries. You're you you can't be the same version of yourself that you usually are. But the one thing I will say Uh, is I think this injury has shown that the bills might need another proven entity in this offense to really uh, make sure that come playoff time, come uh, if they want to get to the super bowl, they might need that extra guy. You know, you you look at a team like the Rams right now and, and, they, they swapped out Odell Beckham Jr. for Allen Robinson, and it was supposed to be a good deal. He's been invisible in that offense, and it's been all Cooper Cup. And a lot of the talk sports shows are saying, oh, they need Odell Beckham Jr. back. They won't have any shot of even getting into the playoffs and making noise. Hmm. There's something to be said about having that next option, that next guy up. And when it comes to when Gabe Davis goes uh, has a nagging injury, if something were to happen to Stephon Diggs, I'm not sure I have confidence in the depth behind those guys. And obviously that, that saying's, uh, that's not a shocking statement when you have a superstar like Diggs is your number one and you have an emerging star like Gabe Davis is your number two.
2: Is there an if there for you with Shakir? Because like I'm not betting on a fifth round rookie being like, oh, he's the number two in this offense. I'm at least a little curious, though,
1: if he could give them anything. I think you can give them something this year, but I still think you're probably a year away from getting a consistent type of production from him. Sure. He was very impressive this summer as well in terms of the route running the hands. Uh natural hands catcher. So I think he's going to do well. And, and in that very small sample size on Sunday against the Ravens, I came away very impressed with him. Uh, the scramble by Josh Allen, knowing enough to get to the sidelines, get yeah. open the first catch. That was all him with that cut to get up field, to get the 14 yards on that play uh, a little thing. But I love the fact that he put both hands over the football when he was running with it, protecting that thing, knowing that they were going to try to punch it out at all costs, little things like that, two catches, two first downs though, uh, it definitely captures your attention.
0: I think that the role has to be the Gabe Davis role from his rookie year, though, for Shakir this year. Like, that's, to me, where I think it tops out for Shakir. And I might be wrong in that assessment. Maybe he ha- he can take a little bit more on his play. I-, I don't know if it's wide receiver two ceiling. But I just don't think that as a blocker, he's shown enough. Obviously, he had that really bad whiff in Tennessee, and it probably was the reason he wasn't active the following week um, and something that he's going to have to develop that part of the game. Physically speaking, I feel like guys like Kumaro and and Davis, they're just more apt to be better blockers because of their size. Now, what flies in the face of that take is Isaiah Hodgins' inability to block for the last couple of years. I think that's what's kept him off the field. And now you look at the wide receiver situation, obviously four guys banged up. Davis is going to play. I mean, he's he's fighting through it. He was a full practice day unless there's a setback. McKenzie's a concussion protocol. You don't know what his status is. No practice day for Kum- Kumaro. Jameson mm-hmm. Crowder has a broken ankle. So now you start to look at, all right, what are the options? They like to have five guys up. Who else can kind of fill that role for them? And Hodgins is the guy that you, you, you got to say is the option. Tavon Austin apparently Went to the Bills, reportedly voiced his frustrations with his role, and now the Bills are letting him go seek opportunities elsewhere. We'll be off the practice squad. They signed, um, or they're going to sign, Jakari uh, Roberson, uh, yeah. undrafted free agent guy that uh, came on with the Dallas Cowboys and obviously was on the market. They bring him in. He was on the practice field today. But again, a lot like the cornerback situation, Joe, that has frustrated Bills fans for the last couple of years. I don't know if there's necessarily... A veteran that you could come in here and, and plug in right away outside of maybe an Odell yeah. Beckham Jr. But there's, there's a lot that goes into that. A money conversation. Is he willing? Does he like the spot? Does he like the role? I'm sure because of Von Miller, they'll, they'll carve out the right kind mm-hmm. of role for him. But this team, unless it's a special situation, they really do rely on the guys that they're just developing and, and, and they have in their system already.
2: Yeah. What's right? Like, what's the move like Beckham? That they've made. I mean, they made it in their first season when they traded for Kelvin Benjamin, but special circumstances, I think. They're they're going for, you know, they're going to break the drought there, and they didn't really have much in terms of receivers. So that's so long ago. Like, what's that mm-hmm. move? But right, it's gotta, you gotta make the money work, and you gotta, you know, know, know his he's gotta know his role and whatnot. Like you're coming in here, you're behind digs. Now he kind of did that in LA. He took mm-hmm. both things. He took no money to go to the Rams last year, and he not only came went in there knowing he was the number two option behind Cooper Cup at the time. He kind of knew that he was at best the two B because Robert mm-hmm. Woods was healthy for a couple of days before he tore his ACL when he got there. So you know he he should you would have to have that conversation right? Like Dave's going to get his targets, Davis is going to get his targets. You're going to get your targets, but to me, he's like he's the obvious answer, and he's the only one that could come in over top of Davis at all as like okay. You could take over a game and like if Diggs is being double covered on the other side all day, like against Kansas city, we know Davis can take over a game. There's no one else on the team right now. We think can do that. We are, at least we haven't seen it. I get maybe McKenzie cause he did it against the Patriots. So someone might want to be arguing that with me, Beckham. We know though, he was taking over the super bowl before he tore his ACL beyond that though. Anyone else is just kind of, yeah, depth, right? Like if they bring T Y Hilton in, you know, he's a depth guy because they've had injuries. It's the Xavier Rhodes move, maybe the equivalent of that, um, whatever he's got left in the tank. I don't think Will Fuller's realistic. He gets brought up a lot, but a couple of problems mm-hmm. with him. One, he has definitively said he doesn't want to play where it's cold. So I think I got to scratch that off automatically. And two, always kind of weird with him, right? Like last year in Miami, he like disappeared from the team facilities for a week and he's always injured. It just doesn't seem like a guy that Bean in McDermott would really go for. So I kind of throw Fuller out the window and the only other guy that to me would even be worth consideration that's available is Deshaun Jackson. And if I remember way back to comments he made to Rex Ryan once upon a time on ESPN, Rex did something where he was like, "Okay, like we tried to, we talked to you like back in the day in Buffalo about getting you and, and Jackson basically admitted like, yeah, same thing as Fuller. Don't really want to play where it's that cold." So, if Jackson does isn't an option, which I don't need him to be anyway. Fuller. is isn't an option again. TY Hilton's like a good leader locker room guy. Maybe he's got something left in the tank, but for me, it's Beckham for me. It's Beckham or you stick with your internal options and you just do the best you can with Hodgins or Shakir and whatever
1: else depth you have behind the guys that are going to start when they're healthy. And it goes back to what you said, too, about the money. He's not going to ask for a lot of money at this point. He's coming back most likely late November, December. He has a chance to audition again for a a bigger contract next year if he can stay healthy elsewhere. Uh, He's going to be on a Super Bowl contender and possibly get another ring. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons if you're Odell Beckham Jr. to to pick Buffalo come that time when you're healthy and you feel like you can contribute. And right now, the Rams, like if, if Super
2: Bowl is really that important to him, which he talks like it is. The Rams don't look too hot. No. Like, if right. you're trying to win a Super Bowl right now and you're Odell Beckham and that's near the top of your priority list, if I'm Beckham, if I specifically am Beckham, I'm worried about two things. One, winning a Super Bowl and rebuilding my value for another contract. And at that point, mm-hmm. I'm only considering two teams, the Bills and the Chiefs.
0: So the Beckham thing is super interesting. And I agree. And the Chiefs, man, that, that becomes real interesting <laughs> real quick if that ends up somehow happening. The thing with Beckham that's so nuanced to the conversation is a couple of things. Number one, You got to take the health factor into it. When is he going to be Beckham again? Like he came back from the injury in Cleveland, right? And was able to kind of work out some of the cobwebs early. It obviously wasn't going well. I don't have the exact injury history and when that injury occurred, he came back the year he got traded to the Rams when he started in training camp. He was still kind of rehabbing the injury, if, if I remember correctly.
2: That's right. I'm looking at it now. He, he tore his ACL week eight in 2020, and right. then he did start the season in Cleveland. But yeah, it looked like he wasn't ready to start a training camp. And the stats from that season, I mean, maybe it was more of a Cleveland thing, but it took him a while to get going.
0: Right. So you got that factoring in. So if he's ready late November, when is he OBJ again? The guy that played in the Super Bowl. Is, yeah. Can he be that this season? I think that's a legitimate question. Number two, what have all these guys said? What did Emmanuel Sanders say about coming to the Bills last year? Week in and week out, press conference after press conference. It's the hardest playbook I've ever tried to learn. So my question to you guys is, Is Von Miller passing over the playbook to OBJ right now so he kind of get a head start on trying to figure all this out? Because if he comes in and walks in the door late November thinking that he's going to learn this playbook and get on the same page with Josh Allen in in two months to figure it out, and maybe they could simplify things. Maybe Ken Dorsey's already thinking about that and how they could kind of insert in, in the case that it does become an option. But I just think there's just so many potential, I don't want to say pitfalls, but so many complications to the OBJ move.
1: And that's fair. Like you guys said, it takes a while to get back from one of these injuries. That's the reason like a lot of fans are saying, you know, can Trey White come back this week? And it's like, well, it's not that easy when they're coming off these ACL injuries. doesn't matter what position you play. It's not just like you're four weeks on the popper, or whatever or up. And you just you're out there full speed. You have to build that back up. So uh, when it comes to a guy like Beckham, though, the the, the good thing for the Bills would be. He could realistically be your third option at receiver alone. And we've already talked about the fact that Singletary has been more involved. We haven't been able to get much from Dawson Knox this year, if you're, if you're the Bills coaching staff. And he's had a plethora of injuries this year in terms of the ailments, the foot, the hip, the back, the uh, you name it. It seems like it's a different thing each week. So you're hoping he can get healthy too. So you, don't, you wouldn't need him to necessarily be that Super Bowl version of himself in Buffalo, uh, but you're hoping you would get something close to that.
2: I just want to see the bills like at some point figure out who are my weapons down the field, because when they're completely healthy, I think they're fine. Diggs is one of the best in the league at it. And Davis honestly is one of the best in the league at it. But when though, when one of those two isn't out there, who else wins down the field? Knox can do it up the seams. McKenzie is got the speed for it, but he just doesn't do it because it's not his role. I, I, they don't really have that guy. And whether that would be Beckham if they were to sign him, or you know if they make like a, a a veteran move, like a Jackson or a Hilton wants to chase a Super Bowl, a guy like that. But I I'm I'm a little if I'm envious of one thing of the Chiefs offensively right now, it's that they've got their alpha and Travis Kelsey, and then it's just a track team around them. Mm-hmm. And that's with them trading Tyree Hill. They traded Tyree Hill, but who did they replace him with? Marquez Valdez Scantling, who's inconsistent. But is blazing speed up the sidelines whenever you need him to. McCole Hardman, same thing, super fast. We're talking Sky Moore, even the even though he's a rookie and hasn't produced much, he's got that speed. We're talking four three guys, sometimes four two speed. Even Smith Schuster, as a slot guy, has got good. Has got wheels. The Bills, he doesn't went down the field quite like these other guys. The Bills, it just feels like Davis is hobbled and. What, what, what are the secondary options? It's guys that are, that really win underneath and I don't need to go crazy to fill that need. Cause it's a pretty on the grand scope of things. It's a pretty minor hole if it is one at all, but I, I'd like to just have an answer to Davis or Diggs isn't out there. Who else can I take the top off the defense?
0: Well, if you're looking for answers uh, on Sunday, you're going to a game, you're tailgating, uh, the ultimate answer is the tailgate and go kitchen. Uh, check this out. I mean, falling leaves and crisp weather means it's our favorite time of the year, tops tailgate season, and you can win the ultimate tailgate accessory from tops just by purchasing brands. You already love now through October 29th. Every time you use your tops bonus plus card to purchase participating brands like Pepsi's Campbell's Smithfield, and so many more, you're automatically entered for your chance to win a tailgate and go kitchen for the ultimate tailgating experience. You get Full details at topsmarkets.com slash red zone. This was featured. This item was featured on Shark Tank, Joe, uh, the tailgate and go Ooh. kitchen. Uh, it's got a little bit of everything. It's got a built in cutting board, paper towel holder, bottle opener, spice rack, food divider, compartments, storage net in lid and knife magnet. You know, who I think we got to pitch this item to Jeremy White.
2: Oh, he'd be all about it. All about it. He needs it. In fact, he, if he doesn't have it already, he needs it for his tailgate. Sure.
1: A Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. You ready? Showtime! On May third, summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah.
0: And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: Brian, where do you want to go next? Let's go to Quan Jones. Uh, You know, we had a topic on here, Joe, about... Is he as valuable of a signing as Von Miller was to this defensive line thus far this hmm. season?
0: Nobody's as valuable as Von Miller. I almost feel like we got to put Von Miller <laughs> in his own pocket. Yeah. The more I've thought about this topic, right? Like he's his own entity, his own conversation. After that, though, I don't think that there's been a more important addition to the Bills than Daquan Jones.
2: Yeah. I think it's not that bad. It's not that bad a question. It sounds crazy on the surface because Von Miller's first ballot hall of famer, and he's, you know, number one in every pass rush metric through the start of the season. And Daquan Jones is like, you know, a fan might be listening right now. And if I noticed him yet this season, but he, again, he's, (laughs) he's, he's one of those guys where if he's doing his job, you really don't notice him with their injuries added into the equation. Yeah, I could get there. I could get there as he's right there in terms of value to the team so far. Because the run blocking has, or the run defense has not been that bad at all. And that's with Phillips missing time and Oliver missing time and Settle missing time. Jones has been the constant there. I'm not watching him close enough to tell you like what he's doing great at um, and whatnot. The only thing I can tell you that I know about DeQuan Jones through the season is I saw a chart from Ben Baldwin earlier in the week that he is being double teamed more than any defender in mm. football. Now, that might not be a conscious effort by the opponent, that could just be DeQuan Jones is eating up two blocks at the same time, which is probably, I think, a lot of what his job is. So, again, I'm not the guy to be diving into the film on him and telling you right. what he's succeeding at. But it does feel like he's been super valuable to them through four games.
1: Yeah, in terms of bang for your buck, I feel like he's up there in terms of what they're paying him and, and what you want him to do. And when it comes to the double teams, which you mentioned, I think that's a big reason why Matt Milano is making so many plays week in, week out, While you're seeing more from Tremaine Edmonds. When you have someone in the middle that's taking on multiple blockers, it allows your linebackers to use their instincts to get in there, to shoot the gap a little bit more. Uh, and, and that's something that they did not have the past few seasons with Star in that in the middle of that defense they were very underwhelming. They were giving up a lot of yards. Uh, the the yep. fact that they got out of that Tennessee game with Henry averaging 1.9 yards per carry, the Rams didn't really do much on the ground. Uh, and, and then Miami did nothing on the ground for the most part. So three of the four games have been great. They had a few runs to JK Dobbins, uh, on Sunday that I'm sure, you know, they went for decent size gains. But overall, this run defense has been night and day from the previous few seasons.
2: Yeah. And another stat, I'm just looking up on him on the fly real quick here. The Bills always use a rotation at defensive tackle. Even Oliver's barely cracks 50 percent. Latulale was Latula. Actually, this is maybe is this could this be on purpose or complete coincidence? He was exactly 47 percent of the defensive snaps in every single season. He played for the Bills. Hmm. Exactly 47 percent. Jones this year is at 67% of the snaps. Like he's playing more and that's a lot to do with the injuries. I'm sure. I feel like he's a guy we're going to talk a lot about before both Patriot games later in the season. Cause that's all new England does try to run it.
0: He's everything that they thought they were paying for when they signed star. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're getting him at a pretty good value. Cause you're basically giving him 7 million a year, which I think is a little bit less than they were paying star right around that number. And you know, you go you go look at some of the sacks that you know Greg Rousseau has had, or even Von Miller, and take a look. I mean, the the Bills are getting pressure with four; it's unbelievable. They've sent the least yeah. amount of blitzes through four games of any team in the league. I think it's like twelve blitzes on the year in four games. They're averaging four per yeah. game, and I think the first game they didn't have any. And he, I went back and I watched uh, Greg Rousseau's because I wanted to go and talk to him about. You know, obviously, he's leading the team in sacks, and, and how that's all gone. And you know, it was a really good four man rush on the uh, on Greg Russo, where he kind of ran a stunt, which I think most of the success that he's had this year, that's the kind of moves that 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 he's finding it. But Taquan Jones immediately anchors, pushes back a double team, pushes back a double team, allows Greg Russo to kind of stunt and come, you know, behind him for the sack. I also want to give credit to AJ Epinesa who kind of or uh. Yeah, Appanessa who had a really nice bull rush on the other side and almost like put Lamar Jackson in a box. He couldn't get out of it and it allowed Greg Greg Rousseau to kind of land there. But I think Jones is so important because of what I think he means for everybody else. Of course, Von Miller takes attention away from other people. But Daquan Jones gives opportunities to guys that, you know, they just haven't had the same opportunities the last couple of seasons. Epinesa is a perfect example of that.
2: Yeah, I'd like to, especially with the Chiefs game coming up next week, and we know how the Bills like to play the Chiefs, where it's four-man pass rush, we are just not going to blitz Patrick Mahomes. We're just not going to do it. Last year, I pointed out a couple times throughout the season, it was interesting how the Bills were number one in pressure rate all last season. Mm-hmm. But it was they were doing it in a different way. I, I, liked, I, I wonder where I could find numbers on this. The time that it takes for the quarterback to throw it against a certain opponent Mm -hmm. because the bills were number one in pressure rate last year, but most of it was quarterbacks had to take an extra second or two to throw the football because everything was covered back there. Everything Mm -hmm. was covered back there. And that maybe contributed in the most way to why they were number one in pressure rate is the pass rushers had an extra two seconds to get there this year. They're number three in pressure rate with, by the way, the lowest blitz rate in the league. So really the best with a four man rush. They're doing it because they're just beating guys. It's not because uh, it's not a criticism of the secondary, but they're not number one in pressure or three in pressure rate because everything's covered back there with you know hideout and whiteout. They're just beating guys getting there, and I wonder if the chief game is any different. I wonder if next week you know it's the same exact game plan of what they've had, which is dropping everyone into coverage, four man rush, and let's just hope that we get to Mahomes and pressure him as much as we can. But maybe this year even though the stats would tell you they were number one last year, they were number three this year. I wonder if, you know, they're quicker to getting there this year.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's a great talking point. Uh, And, you know, it also goes back to, though, to the secondary. What if they get one of those pieces back, uh, a Benford back for that game? And I'm not sure he'll be back in time, uh, but it, Elam has been really impressive. And that's another talking point. We're going to get to here in a minute, Matt. Uh, I like what I've seen from Dane Jackson, obviously with Poyer back there. So if you can get the front four playing the way they have this year, the secondary playing the way they have in the past with this unit, covering, playing this, uh, that offense so well, it is going to be a really interesting chess match here in, in a few weeks.
0: You know, it's not as complicated as chess, Ryan Talbot. I mean, if you want deals, just text 80692 to value, V A L U. That signs you up for their text program and you start saving immediately, even more receive exclusive coupons, see uh, uh, values, weekly deals, and so much more visit valuehomecenters.com uh for more information. Uh, I do want to get to Elam, uh, but before we do, let's uh, veer here a little bit and talk about Sean McDermott's comments today on the bills run game. Um, he was asked about, you know, Josh Allen being the leading rusher again, uh, ad nauseum. I feel like we talk about this. He said, we're always going to do what we feel like we need to do to win. And so, uh, as in Josh's case, specifically outside of the big picture wise, it's important that we can develop an in dimension to our offense. And so, to answer your question, I'm not overly comfortable with that being the stat week to week or as much as it can be. So, I mean, listen, this is something that they're going to answer Week in, week out, until they find some type of sustainable running game. We talked about the screen pass success that they had uh, on Sunday, which is a really nice sign. But what is the answer, Joe, to more production in the run game? I don't necessarily know if they have the guys up front to be a – power run team, nor do I think they want to be that. I don't think they should strive to be that. And I think sometimes when McDermott kind of dips his toes in the water of wanting to be a tougher, more run oriented team, I think that's a dangerous game to play. But at the same time, sometimes they put certain situations, certain packages out there. And it's almost like, you know, they're not going to be successful when they run the ball before they even do it.
2: Yeah. I Honestly, I'll believe that they care about being a great run team when, when they do it, when, Mm. when they really invest in it. Because they but two years ago, this was a talking point. Like They want to get better in the run game. They want to get better in the run game. They brought back the same exact offensive line. If, and that was not this past year. It was the year before where they re-signed Feliciano and re-signed Darryl Williams. Williams. Like, they really wanted to get better in the run game where they thought it was that important. Why they bring back the same offensive line? Now, this year, there were changes. And the linemen they brought in were their, their specialty or their, you know, their advantage was run blocking. Saffold in Tennessee, Questenberry in Tennessee, too. I know he's not a starter and bringing in Aaron Cromer as the offensive line coach that looked like maybe some commitment that they want to be better at running the football, but I still am not going to believe they care about it until they really, you know, put their foot down and do it. And I'm good with that. I don't really want them to really be striving all out to be this power run team. The other thing about, you know, the run game and whatnot, look at who they've played so far. Some of these numbers will be skewed by playing the bills. I'm sure. And it's only four games, but in terms of stopping the run so far, they've played the number one team in the league, the Rams, the number two team in the league, the dolphins, the number three team in the league, Hmm. the Titans, and the number eight team in the league, the Ravens this week, they're playing 29th Pittsburgh. So, Maybe there's something to they've just played a lot of good rush defenses so mm-hmm. far. But, you know, if Sunday they don't run the ball well against Pittsburgh, then, then I think that that narrative goes out the window.
0: Well, they may not try to run the ball a lot, Ryan, because this yeah. secondary for Pittsburgh is really banged up. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick not practicing today. If he can't go, I mean, I think you're attacking a deep part of the field as much as you can against this Pittsburgh defense. That is probably you're not too scared of the pass rush. I know they all talked. Up. And I was actually really impressed with Alex Highsmith, and we're going to talk about this in the preview show on Friday. I don't want to get too deep into the woods here. But, yeah, it's 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 interesting that do they even try to run in, in a game like this where where Pittsburgh isn't good against the run, but they're also so beat up in the secondary?
1: Oh, extremely beat up. I'm just looking at their and, – and, again, we won't go too far into it, but their injury report, uh, Sutton, limited practice. Witherspoon did not practice. Levi Wallace, limited practice uh Edmonds did not practice Fitzpatrick did not practice so I mean it's their entire starting secondary uh and then you know Levi too who plays a big role off the bench for them it's going to be interesting to see how many of them can go and obviously we we spent a good portion of tonight talking about how banged up the Bills wide receivers are so it's not like the Bills are going in extremely healthy and they can attack that necessarily uh but it still might be their most advantageous matchup come Sunday Unless they get out by like 30. If they, right. if, they, if they start blowing them out, then maybe we
2: get a closer look at the run game. But yeah, that's a good point about the secondary and how banged up it is for Pittsburgh. And they get thrown on so far this season. That opening week game against the Bengals, they hold them to like whatever it is, 24 points. But the Bengals did whatever they wanted through the air. Remember, they scored a touchdown that nobody saw, or at least the refs and Zach Taylor didn't see it, that Jamar Chase scored. So it does feel like they could pick Pittsburgh apart. In this game, it, it could be one of those games where Diggs just you just can't stop him all night like the Titans game. I'm not sure who else would do it. I'd love to see a Gabe Davis game where he goes off and we have the answer to our question pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, he's fine. He's the number two option. And of course, Shakir, I will see if McKenzie plays. I think either way, Shakir at least seems to see some uptick in terms mm-hmm. of his snap count and whatnot. I'd like to see him get some run. And if he were to have a nice game against Pittsburgh, I think that would give Bills fans a lot of confidence for their depth.
0: Listen, the Ravens' passing game—it's interesting. It's kind of like this weird uh, phenomenon where you know they have had some really explosive moments this season. You know, I think Rashad Bateman is a fun player. I'm not a film guy by any stretch, but I do try to watch the All 22 when I can. I did a lot more a few years ago when the the mechanism was a little bit more user friendly. I don't know if anybody's been trying to mess around with the new version of it on NFL Plus. It's it's abysmal. Like I, I put it up and it's like, you got to just like basically sit through an hour and 15 minutes. And you kind of like, if you try to like fast forward, like you get fast forward to like the second quarter, try to find it. And then when you do it like weirdly and strangely, just puts you back to the beginning. So I haven't done a whole lot of it, but I did manage to watch the first half of uh, the all 22 of the, against the Ravens. And I, I thought that one of the big observations was Kaya Elam was just really good. Um, 43 coverage snaps, one target, zero receptions allowed. I thought that he he really shut down Bateman in all of their one-on-one matchups. Mm-hmm. Are we at a point where we're comfortable saying, do we know that Kyrie Elam is just good here after four games, or are we not there yet?
2: He looks like it. It, it, it's kind of amazing with all the different things we could talk about from the Ravens game, Harbaugh's fourth down decision, McDermott and Allen and Singletary, like knowing what to do at the end of the half, uh, just the, the first half in general, how weird it was, how that game was all Ravens first half, all Bill's second half. It kind of glossed over the fact that Kyrie Elam just took away the Ravens number one receiver in that game, three catches for 17 yards. For Bateman mm-hmm. now he did he did leave the game for a bit, and he only played forty four percent of the snaps due to an injury, but you're right, like when he was out there, Elam was all over him, and he couldn't do anything one target on I think it was sixty three coverage snaps or fifty three coverage snaps last week man if he's looking this good, and Benford looked as good as he did, and Jackson just like the guys never played bad. Like every game they've ever put him in as early as that first game when he was a rookie against the jets and last year too, in the limited sample size, he had Jackson looks great. It really is going to be interesting in a month from now when everybody's healthy on who plays, because there's four guys that all have a legitimate case for being on the field.
1: Yeah. And, and when it came to Elam, <laughs> it was interesting because, you know, first round pick uh, they, they choose Benford over him to start week one. And you know, when they had both, when they had Jackson healthy too. And I think a lot of that went down to the system, the fit of the system, the zone defense. Benford was more experienced, a little bit better there. But I still thought maybe there were some reservations about Elam's game. But in these last two weeks, even against Miami, I thought he was very, very good. Uh, he has looked the part. Now, the big test is coming here in a few weeks, in my opinion. When, when you have the Chiefs, you come off the bye, you have the Packers. Uh, if He holds up well in matchups against two elite quarterbacks when he's going to have to lock down some pretty decent receivers in those games. uh, Then I think that discussion becomes a lot easier to answer right now. I'm very impressed, uh, but I still need to see a little bit more from him first.
0: I think it's a situation. I've always been kind of open to the situation of like, maybe like a triangle, like rotation, Where Tredavious White has worked back in slowly, and you know, maybe maybe Dane Jackson leads with the percentage of snaps. But they, there's times when they want to get a look at what it looks like with Trey and Kair out there, and then other times when they want to get a look at you know, Dane and Kair, more of that, and so on and so forth. Listen, if yeah. he's healthy and he's fully 100%, I, I think that they're going to get Tredavious White on the field 100% of the snaps, like he's always been. I don't know what the path to that is, and how long is he going to practice? Before he gets into a game, and then is his conditioning level. That's another thing. It's one thing to work on all this stuff and to do the tires and to do this all the stuff off to the side, but football shape, like being able to go out there and play seventy snaps if you have to, that's a completely different animal. So I think that that's a a really fascinating like uh, conversation to have, and how they do, you know, work that out is going to be fun to watch.
2: So so far this year, Elam's been targeted ten times, and he's allowed fifty receiving yards seven Mm. catches for 50 receiving yards on the entire season. Uh, Benford has allowed only five catches for 73 yards. Um, Like they've just all, all their corners have been so good. And I, I wonder, I like that for like rotation. They've not really ever done that a lot, but with white's injury and having the depth that they have now at that position, which how amazing is that? Cause that was like the thing we talked most about in the off season as a potential hole on the team was number two corner. And now like we have too many guys that weren't playing Benford. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not too into the weeds on this, but we've had callers on WGR a couple times, like ask about him playing safety. And mm-hmm. I remember at least a little bit in the draft process of, he might be a safety at the pro level. I have no idea whether or not he can actually do it, but if he can, you know, that might be another alternative way of getting him on the field. If there's not enough snaps at corner.
1: I think it was actually McDermott or Frazier that said something about, we're going to try him at corner first, but safety is always an option. Okay. Um, so it's something in his skill set that maybe they see, but yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously he has the ability to do it, but can you just throw a guy out there in season and do that? That, that would be very interesting to see for sure. But uh, with so many options, it, you know, it might not hurt. And I'm not rushing DeMar Hamlin off the field. I've liked no. him through two games. Something about those pit guys in this defense, uh, smooth <laughs> transition. Are you saying Kenny
2: Pickett's that got an advantage though coming into this game because he knows <laughs> knowing Dane, knowing Hamlin, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, uh, but see, this is where just depends who you are talking. If you are in Pittsburgh today, you are probably saying, oh, "I'll He knows these Pit guys; he'll know what to do. But we could sit here just as easily and say they played against Kenny Pickett in practice all those years. Dane Jackson and uh, Demar Hamlin are going to know what to do against Kenny Pickett, so it's probably a non non issue.
0: I feel like also like. That's probably the least of Pickett's concerns is Damar Hamlin oh. and Dane Jack. <laughs> With all due respect to those guys, if you're thinking about like guys that you're worried about in this game, probably focusing more on Jordan Poyer, Matt Milano, Von Miller, uh, Daquan Jones, maybe Ed Oliver if he's ready to return. Uh, but very interesting stuff. All right. Why don't we give you the floor? Uh, let everybody know about uh, where they can find you, um, what you guys got cooking over there and uh, anything you want to plug here.
2: All right. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at sneaky Joe sports. I'm on with Jeremy on Wednesdays and Thursdays, six to 10 a.m. I'm on with Sal throughout the week from 10 to 12 on WGR on the extra point show. Also hockey season right around the corner. I got my Locked On Sabres podcast, uh, which is also you can check out on the Odyssey app uh, affiliated with GR there too. So, you know, get, if you're trying to work some hockey into your, your daily routine right now, they're quick 20 minute episodes. Just get a little, a little spice of it in there. Season's only eight days away, so now's, now's the time to do a cram session. Locked on Sabres, yeah. check us out.
0: And listen, you're getting my full endorsement here because there's nothing hockey-related that you're going to get from, from this combo here, <laughs> Ryan Talbot <laughs> and Matt Barino. So go check out uh, Locked on Sabres. That's some awesome content. And speaking of where you can get hooked up, head over to Topps Markets right now. Uh, they got all the deals going on to get you ready for game day, tailgating spreads. The Carry Out Cafe has $14 large cheese and pepperoni pizzas, $14 jumbo chicken wing 10 count, $20 legendary breakfast pizza. I'd pay $50 for the breakfast pizza Tops. Pizza or taco log, six counts, seven sixty nine dollars baby back rib sections, $5.99 a pound, plus sub sandwiches, wraps, apps, sides, and so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash redzone for the complete menu of ready to enjoy fan favorites. You're definitely one of our favorites, Mr. DiBiase. Thanks so much for coming on, my friend.
2: Gentlemen, thanks for having me. That was fun. Anytime.
0: Yeah, we'll do it again. All right, for Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. See you on Friday or Saturday. We got maybe a little bit of an audible here. Ryan's coming up to cover the game on Sunday. He'll be here in town Saturday. So stay tuned for the announcement of where our preview show will be. We might even do it somewhere live in person. All right, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. Take care
1: a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.